Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Good morning. Our team is amazing. Uh, If you just enjoyed that, let them know thank you. Let them know how grateful you are for all the hard work. Just put it in the comments. Even if you're not a commenting person, just say thank you. Our our team is the most amazing team ever. Just show them some love right now because we can't be in this room to clap for them, but we can still engage right now online together by saying thank you. And a special thank you to all the team that you didn't see on that screen who works so diligently, and I'm so grateful that we're part of a church that um, is so passionate and committed to communicating hope and broadcasting hope, even when we can't be here in this room, because we believe, as we will celebrate next week, that hope lives. All right, um, a couple of nights ago, uh, we were sleeping. It's about two to three in the morning, and um, I kind of wake up, and as I'm waking up, I see moving through our living room uh, a flashlight kind of tracking, like uh, maybe someone's looking for a large screen television. And so as we're standing, as I'm like waking up slowly, I see the, the light get brighter and brighter and closer and closer, and there around the corner is my daughter. And she's walking and using the flashlight because sometimes she gets afraid at night and is trying to kind of find us. And so the walk from her bedroom to our bedroom can feel a little long, so we give her a flashlight. This is not a night that we're grateful we did that, because as I'm awake, I notice her getting closer and closer to my wife. And because Jenny isn't awake yet, Ella decides that the flashlight would be a great way of waking up Jenny. So she flies like straight into her face, like just wham, there you go. And Jenny's like, oh, and then Ella takes the flashlight and turns it back to her face like this so that she can communicate. And and in that moment, I'm sitting there and I start to like in my head both cry and laugh because I'm terrified and also simultaneously about to fall out of my skin because I I can see it on my wife's body. Like her whole language just went to like, is this the poltergeist? Is this little Carol Ann come to get me? Like step into the light, Carol Ann? Or are we being robbed by a team of small children who've come to take our electronic devices? Like what is happening at three in the morning? So naturally, um, we get her back to her bed and, you know, lay down, kind of help calm her down. And, um, We get back in our bed, and for like an hour and a half, neither one of us can fall asleep because adrenaline is pumping, our heart is racing, uh, fear, emotion has taken over completely. You see, one of the things that oftentimes grabs the steering wheel that takes over in those moments where we become our own worst enemy is emotions. And uh, many of us living in this season right now know personally what that's like. And if we're going to learn how to not be our own worst enemy, then one of, the, one of those enemy hijackers that we have to deal with is our emotions. And I want to take you to a story. In fact, it's a story that uh, two years ago I, I brought to your attention because it's such an obscure story that many of us, even if you're reading the Bible regularly, you can kind of miss it. But it's got such a profound implication for our lives today, even though it was written 2,800 years ago in a completely different time, in a completely different land. 
It's found in the book of 1 Kings, which is um, a historical book in the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures of the Christian Bible. The 1 Kings is part of a two-volume set of 1 and 2 Kings, and it mainly chronicles the rise and the reign and the fall of the kings of Israel. Now, there are some other characters that emerge in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings who have kind of a dominant presence. And one of them, probably one of the most famous Old Testament prophets or Jewish prophets in, um, in that whole system, is a guy named Elijah. Now, Elijah um, was a prophet who was essentially God's spokesperson. He was the advisor to the king. Sometimes he would be an advocate, and sometimes he would be an adversary. Because Israel as a nation was a theocracy. They were to be uh, led and ruled and kind of dictated by God's commands that he'd laid out. And so the Old Testament books of the first five books that are called the Pentateuch um, kind of outlined for the nation how they were supposed to act in the civil and legal frames. And the prophet was the person who was there to, to act as judge and advocate and sometimes adversary when the king wasn't leading the nation the way he was supposed to. And Elijah is this kind of guy. Now, this is during a time period when Elijah is more adversary than advocate. In fact, the entire nation, because of the king and his wife, they've completely turned their backs on God. And as a spokesperson for God, God's prophet, um, Elijah's primary job is to point that out. Now, this is a bit of a feudal kind of tribal land. Uh, it's more akin to what you would have seen in like a Braveheart where there's warring factions. And so there's an element of this world that seems so distant from us. In fact, it starts off with, now Ahab had told Jezebel, Jezebel's Ahab's wife. You probably don't know a lot about Jezebel, but the reason Jezebel is not a name people name their daughter is because of this woman. You've never met a Jezebel. And it's because of her. Because of who she was and how she lived and what she did. And it says that Ahab goes home and he tells Jezebel what happens. What had happened was Elijah had been put into kind of a, a divine altercation with a, a group of false prophets that Jezebel, um, ha, that worked for Jezebel, and they came up against Elijah. And what happens is God steps into that and does this amazing, miraculous work, and the people of Israel rise up and recognize that these Individuals had been misleading them, had, had been destroying their nation, and it ends up being a complete massacre. The army, the people rise up and they crush them. Well, Jezebel is angry. She's realized Elijah's behind it, and all the prophets are dead. And so now her entire workforce, her entire religious community that has served her is no longer present. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She's saying, look, I, look at your clock, Elijah. You've got 24 hours and then you're dead. You're mine. And so Elijah, who had just witnessed God's people rise up and conquer, is now trying to figure out what to do. Now, naturally, you would think Elijah's like, Okay, bring it on. 48 hours ago, this is what I did. And so what does he do? It says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, which is a little off. Elijah, 48 hours before this, had taken a stand for God. 
had stood up against hundreds of people. But now he's running for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey. Now, here's the thing. Leaving his servant there, many historians believe that that's actually akin to him resigning from ministry and from being a prophet. When he walks away from his servant, it's essentially a letter of resignation to God saying, God, I'm done. God, it's over. I'm finished. I no longer want to be a part of ministry. I no longer want to do what you want me to do. And so Elijah gets to this place where he's completely terrified and he's trying to escape. And then it says that he comes to a broom bush after he's traveled. And a broom bush was, um, it's technically a white broom bush. Um, it's found in the Middle East. It's a, it grows to about nine feet tall. Um, so even though it says bush, it's actually more of a small tree. So that's why he sits down underneath it. And then he prays. And what does he pray? He prays that he might die. He prays that it would be all over. He's like, God, I have had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Now here, rewind. 48 hours, maybe 72, maybe a few days before. He's on top of the world. And now he's saying, I have had enough. God, I don't even want to live anymore. I'm done. This is where the story all of a sudden gets really real for you and me. I don't know about you. Have you ever said that? Maybe not out loud. Maybe out loud. You just said, I've... I've had enough of this quarantine, this self-isolation. I've had enough of not knowing if I'm going to keep my job. I've had enough of homeschooling. I've had enough of my spouse. I've had enough, period. Maybe it's something internally no one even knows what you're dealing with. I've had enough of this alcohol. I've had enough of this addiction. He's in a hard, dark place and he's done. And his only, his only logical conclusion is, God, kill me. He'd witnessed God perform a miracle. And now he doesn't even believe he's possible or it's possible for there to be a miracle in him. And it's in this moment that I want us to camp because I think this obscure story gets very close and personal when we realize that people, no matter who they are, no matter how great or significant, no matter how successful they've been, that none of us are exempt from I've had enough kind of moments. And that what happens in these moments, what happens in this kind of moment for you and for me and for Elijah, is we begin to say things that we've never said. We begin to do things that we would normally not do. We start to lose hope. Our present gets really large and our future gets really small. And today feels like forever. Today feels like it's never, ever going to end. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting about COVID-19 is uh, we were switching from March to April. And I had this temptation just to rip the month of April out of the calendar. I'm like, why am I flipping over a calendar? It doesn't even matter. 
Like, it's like March, April, May right now in my world. Like, I'm perpetually living in some day that this is like Groundhog Day every single day right now. Like, we don't have a future. We have today. And that's what emotionally hijacking that enemy looks like when it grabs a hold of the steering wheel. If you lose sight of tomorrow and you start to feel like tomorrow is never going to come, you start to live in Groundhog Day. And it starts to feel like you're trapped or stuck. I don't mean stuck in your house like we are. I mean a harder, deeper kind of stuck. And I don't mean that you're just tired. I mean it's a different kind of tired. A tired that sleep just doesn't fix sometimes. Where you wake up the next morning, and even though you had a regular night of sleep, you still feel tired. Because you're not physically tired. You're emotionally and mentally tired. And this is where Elijah is. He's done. He's done with the whole thing. He's tired of feeling like his future is spent. Maybe you're tired of feeling like your kids, that you're ruining their education. Maybe you're tired of feeling like your business is just one or two more weeks away from floundering. And you start to feel all alone, like I'm the only one left. Like I'm the only one. Because we scroll through social media and we see all these other parents and look at them. Man, they've got an education station set up and look at their business. They're thriving. But I'm struggling. I'm the only one. And we start to feel like we're one in a million when in reality, we're one of a million. That millions of us are in this place right now together. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight of that. We can lose sight that there will be a tomorrow one day and feel trapped in this Groundhog Day called today. And, and so when Elijah, this great man of God, this person who has seen God perform miracles, is sitting there, and he says to God, I've had enough, kill me. What's so fascinating to me is what God does next. See, what he does next is he pulls out a lightning bolt and he throws it down. And he hits Elijah, and Elijah dies. He's like, you asked for it, that's what you get. Huh. What amazes me is actually what we see him do. We see that Elijah lays down under the bush and he falls asleep. And all at once, an angel touches him and says, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Like Elijah collapses in exhaustion. And when he does... He wakes up to the smell of freshly baked bread that is literally heavenly. Like, it's like the heaven's version of Panera has come down. And there, right in front of him, is God's food for him. Now, it's really interesting to read this and, and get caught up in the angel showing up. And you can miss the genius of what God is doing. You see, what God is doing that's brilliant is God understands that Elijah's in a place where his emotions have become his enemy. He understands that we all have this tendency, that we all have this struggle, that we forget in the darkness what God has done in the light. That we can forget what Elijah had experienced before, that God is faithful and that he shows up 
Even when we want to throw our hands up and say, I'm done. That God has never not been faithful. It's not even in his ability to do so. But we forget in the darkness all that God has done in the light. We forget how we stepped out in that dream with that business and it wasn't supposed to work out and it somehow has kept working out. We can forget how there were moments in our past when financially we weren't in a place to be able to take care of ourselves and yet we've made it this far. Like God has been faithful and do not forget in this dark moment what God has done in the light. And so God says, get up and eat. And he feeds him. And then Elijah eats and he drinks and then he lays back down again. I don't know if you've noticed this. Elijah has had a couple of meals and he's taken a few naps. And it says the angel of the Lord came back a second time. And the angel of the Lord actually is, was kind of a, many historians believe that when you see angel of the Lord in the kind of Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament, that, that's Jesus prior to his birth and arrival on planet Earth. And so he comes back a second time, and he touches him, and he says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. God's wisdom, and what we see here, is subtle but incredibly significant. Elijah is emotionally, physically depleted, and God meets him in the midst of his depletion. God meets him in the midst of his exhaustion. Because God understood that for Elijah, the journey was simply too much. And instead of getting angry, instead of getting frustrated with Elijah, who had every reason to not have permission to get upset and to say, I'm, I'm done, I've had enough. Instead of God getting angry, God shows empathy. God refreshes him not rebukes him. He understands that Elijah, like you and I, are prone to weakness because sometimes life can be hard. Sometimes things can be difficult. Sometimes it can be a struggle. And God knows that what Elijah really needs is food, water, and sleep. And that's what he does. He meets him and he provides for him. Understanding that it's in the refreshing that Elijah gets to come back and take control and not be his own worst enemy. Now, this is something that I think, whether we implicitly need to be told and reminded, which I think we do, which is why it's in this passage, I think some of us intuitively fall into this sometimes, or at least in our best moments, recognize it. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, leadership biographies. And one of the individuals I've read a lot about is Abraham Lincoln. Now, Abraham Lincoln, I think, arguably led through one of the most difficult time periods in American history. One is he's leading a nation that, through a war, that takes more American lives than practically any other, Ameri any other war America has ever been in. On top of that, He's having to lead the nation through a war that's built on America's greatest sin, which was slavery. So here's this evil, vile act 
that is ripping apart this nation. And Abraham Lincoln is trying to single-handedly put it back together. He has failed over and over and over again in his life. In fact, arguably one of the first times he really succeeds is when in the midst of a crazy um, Republican convention, he manages to secure the presidential nomination. His first real success is to become the president of the United States. He's a man who's dealt with heartbreak his entire life, with the first one being losing his mom when he was a small boy. And yet, one of the things that's fascinating about Abraham Lincoln is during the Civil War, during his presidency, Abraham Lincoln will go to the theater 100 times during his presidency. If you've ever wondered, why was he assassinated in that theater? It's because everyone knew that's where Abraham Lincoln went. This was a common thing he did. And the reason why, from what we know in his writings and other accounts, is that when he sat in a theater and the lights dimmed, it was one of the few moments in that period of life where he felt refreshed. He wasn't escaping to the theater. He was being renewed in the theater. Getting caught up in greater stories, bigger storylines than the one he was living in, actually served as a powerful, refreshing tool for him. In fact, one of the things I think is really important for us to know, like Abraham Lincoln knows, what he knew, was what is it that refuels me? What is it that renews me? Because I don't think it's always obvious what the answer is. I think many of us can forget in dark times where our refreshing comes from. For some of you, it may be listening to music or reading. It may be exercising. It may be watching a good movie. I think for, for Christians that we, we've been given this supernatural power source through engaging with the Bible, through prayer. And in fact, I held off the Bible class this week. We've had a really amazing response, but I held it off. And instead of starting this week, I wanted to wait one more week because I want some of you, if you've ever wondered, how do I engage with the Bible? Today is the day that you can start that journey. On Wednesday morning, people who've signed up are going to get an email from me with the first introductory kind of teaching to how to engage Scripture and find life in it. And so if, if that's you, I would encourage you, after the service or even right now on a different tab or in the Connect card on our app, just to go to EncounterChurch.com forward slash connect and say, I'm interested in the Bible class. Because that can be a powerful source of renewal for you. For some of you, um, in two weeks on our Wednesday midweek, I'm going to actually teach you how to pray. I'm going to just jump in and pray. And uh, so that because prayer is one of those amazing, refreshing gifts that God has given us. And this Wednesday, because there's so much in this message I want to cover that we don't have time for, this Wednesday I'm going to walk through a visual illustration and a series of questions to help you think through what is it that drains me? What is it that refuels me? Because God's word to Elijah was get up. Quit sulking and sinking in the darkness. Stop throwing a pity party. Because when you throw a pity party and you send out the invitations, no one shows up. It's just you. And what does God mercifully do when Elijah throws his pity party? 
he shows up and he invites them to a better party. A party where God brings strength, where God brings source, where God gives a sense of renewal and refreshing that ultimately allows Elijah to move. It says that he got up, he ate and he drank, and that he was strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. God's refreshing to Elijah ultimately allows him to take an arduous journey, hundreds and hundreds of miles. And where does he go? A place called Mount Oreb that the writer of 1 Kings reminds the readers is the mountain of God. Now, what is that? Well, that's the mountain that Moses was wandering on that day with, with his flock. When out of nowhere, God begins to speak and move. It's on that mountain that the nation of Israel is born. It's on that mountain that a people have been set free. It's on that mountain that a nation is given God's laws. It's on that mountain that they watch his wondrous, faithful hand at work. And so God doesn't just refresh Elijah. He takes Elijah to the place where it all began so that he could help reframe everything to. See, if you're not dead, God's not done. In fact, maybe this might be a little awkward, but if you're by yourself, I want you to say this out loud. If I'm not dead, God's not done. Now, this time you've practiced. Now let's say it. Say, just look to your left or to your right, to your kids. Say, I'm not crazy. The guy on television is telling me to do this. If I'm not dead, God's not done. This is why God takes him there. He's like, Elijah, I'm not finished with you. When Elijah says, God, take me, I'm no better than my ancestors. He has no clue how true that is. Because his ancestors met God on this mountain. And what did they find when they came to this mountain? What did Moses find when he came to this mountain? He felt like he had no future. He found out that God was not done. He wasn't dead. What did the nation of Israel, who'd just been rescued from slavery, find when they came to this mountain? That God had better things. That God had a future for them. That God had a promise for them. You and I are in that place. You and I are in that place of God's faithfulness. And that He's not done with you. He is not done with you. If you're not dead, God's not done. Do not forget in the darkness what God has done in the light. So say it with me one more time. If I'm not dead, God's not done. Yes, that's true. And that's what I will do. And so maybe for you right now, you're in that place where you just feel depleted. And your prayer today is to say, God, I don't want to be my own worst enemy. God, would you meet me? Would you refresh me? Would you renew me in this place? For some of us, we just need to, to hit pause to get out of the Groundhog Day loop that we're stuck in and to look back to our past to find the strength that we need for our present. That God is faithful. That God is bigger. God is stronger. And that he has always been our source and supply for every good thing.
and that you may not feel like you have the journey to last three more weeks. You may not feel like you have the, the energy in you to make it a whole nother month. But God meets us in this moment and he gives us the strength that we need for today. So don't ask him for strength for your tomorrow. Ask him for strength for today. Some of you, you may need to ask him strength for this next hour. Because when we're in the darkness, it's really easy to forget what God has done to life. And if you're not dead, he's not done. He has a plan and he has a purpose for you. One to give you hope, to give you future. And that's why I want to invite you to come back here next week. Because next week, I'm going to take you back geographically to that same mountain as we find our source of hope that's stronger and greater than all the other things. And in that, what we'll find and discover is that we may not enjoy every circumstance, but that hope can give us joy in all the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so I look forward to seeing you back here next week for you joining us midweek and for those who sign up for the Bible course of being able to to step in with you and help you find a greater source of supply for your journey. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.